I'm Riley, and this is Lifestyle Tucson. For the first portion of today's program, I am speaking with Norma from the Community Food Bank of Southern Arizona. Hi, Riley. It's Norma from the Food Bank. Hi, Norma. How are you today? Good. How are you doing? I am doing very well. I'm glad we get this opportunity to have a little chat and give the community an update on uh, the Community Food Bank of Southern Arizona. This is great. Absolutely. Great to talk to you. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, this time last year, uh, many members of our Tucson and Southern Arizona community found themselves needing assistance from the food bank. What is the current situation from uh, the food bank's perspective? Sure. So we will likely close out our fiscal year um, setting a record for the amount of food that we've distributed, the most ever in our history. Uh, But what we have seen lately mostly since this last uh, stimulus check went out, is that the lines have slowed a bit, um, and we're happy to see that. We still continue to serve people here at Country Club um, from 8 to 11, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday mornings. Um, And we do see people lined up, but we have seen a slow in the volume um, of what we're seeing. So we are still offering drive-through distribution, still taking all our COVID precautions. Um, But for right now, it is not nearly as... um, as, uh, as drastic as it was last year at this time. You mentioned the Country Club location because for several months you were operating at the emergency distribution site. And I was reading how recently that Country Club location has undergone some improvements and a uh, l- little bit of renovations. Could you tell me more about those changes and any uh, changes to distribution? Absolutely. So we did move from the Kino Sports Complex back here to operate um, at 3003 South Country Club at our main warehouse um, in the beginning of January. And we were able to extend our distribution hours and offer uh, about double the amount of time that we could over at Kino. We were able in the time of the pandemic to go ahead and take advantage of the fact that we had fewer of our employees coming into the food bank during that time, and it was a good time to go ahead with the scheduled renovation that we had just announced, and then COVID hit, and we put a pause on anything, on everything, and then we did decide to go ahead with it. So what that did really, a lot of the basic improvements were um, improvements to our parking lot, which probably doesn't sound very exciting, mm-hmm. but were very important, critical changes for us to make in terms of increasing the amount of parking here at the community food bank, but then also separating the uh, truck traffic from the semi-trucks from people who would be coming in to visit the pantry. What that also did in the meantime, and what we've taken full advantage of since January, is allow us our area in the south parking lot to provide drive-through distribution. So in moving back from Keno, we just did get a really good feel for exactly what we needed, for how distribution should work, how many lines we could operate, how efficient we could be, and what was the best way to move cars quickly in and out of our entrance here at at 3003 South Country Club. So we have been operating here, and the improvements in our parking lot have made a great difference. We have a big tent out there. We have volunteers showing up. We're able to provide them shade. The food is, of course, in the shade also, Mm -hmm. and that is just going to become more critical as we look at 
this summer ahead. Um, it does look like we're probably going to be doing drive-through distribution in the hot summer months, but we've been through that. We did that last year at this time at Kino Sports Complex. And so we know how that works. We know the best ways to do. We have our coolers already set up out there, got our Gatorade and our electrolytes ready to go. So um, we'll be very careful as we move forward, but we will be uh, moving forward in the summer months and continuing that drive-through distribution. Absolutely. You, you took what you learned in 2020, brought it into 2021 moving forward. So I also saw in a recent newsletter, I was looking at the website uh, about a new program, Local Produce for Local Seniors. Could you tell me a bit more about that program and uh, its benefits? So that program um, is part of our work in getting local produce out. And I'm sorry to say I don't have the specifics of getting it out to seniors, but what we do know overall is that senior hunger is a growing problem that is going to require us to think differently and creatively on just how to address that the best. The local produce that we work with, and, and people are often surprised uh, by how much we do with local produce, but we do operate a farmer's market once a week, and we do work with local growers to do everything that we can to support them in getting their produce to um, institutions that are here in Tucson, like the U of A, the Student Union, um, the school districts, Tucson Unified School District, we've done some work with Sunnyside, and then Tucson Medical Center. They've all been really great about being able to commit to buying local produce, and that we know is good in so many ways in terms of healthy food going out to seniors and other people in our community, and then in also in terms of the growers and supporting them. I think we all can understand that growing food in southern Arizona is not that easy. Mm -hmm. And so what we can do to support that is so important. So we do work a lot with that, with local produce. And we also have just recently been able to get local produce out in our school pantries, um, which have been doing great work. I know many schools have been closed till just recently, but those pantries were open and have been open through most of the pandemic. And that's a very critical way for families, busy families, to get the food that they need um, right there in their neighborhood. So they don't have to make an extra trip to the food bank, try to figure out what the open hours are. They can instead pick it up from the school in their neighborhood. So we've had a lot of um, success in that. In fact, we're we're growing those programs in the rural areas. Mm -hmm. Now that schools have started transitioning back into a more traditional system, is that going to cause changes for your uh, school pantry setup? Well, no, we, we are equipped to go ahead and handle the school pantry um, needs because we have been throughout the pandemic. And we are really looking at what we can do to make that make those pantries more available in the rural areas. So yes, it might increase some of our transportation needs, but we're well equipped with the food and able to handle the logistics part of that to really keep supporting that. Um, those resource centers at the schools are so important and often food is just one of the resources that they mm -hmm. offer uh, because we do see the schools really becoming more of a community place where you can go to get the things that your family needs. So we're happy to support that. We'll continue working hard with that. Um, after school snacks continue to be a part of what we do. And then um, in the summer, we'll be working, I believe we'll be working more with the libraries, making more food available for pickup there. Mm -hmm. Something definitely we've all learned from these experiences over this last year is the importance of community. So I'm kind of curious, is there anything that the Food Bank of Southern Arizona is needing 
from the community uh, in terms of items or volunteers? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a great question. Um, the community has been so wonderful and supportive since this pandemic hit, and I think it did serve to raise awareness of how quickly people can become food insecure, not know where that next meal is coming from. Um, and hunger was a big problem in southern Arizona before this pandemic. So um, it really did raise awareness, and we have seen great financial support from donors. Right now, probably our most critical need as we look at the months ahead are for volunteers to help us in the drive-through distribution. Some of our volunteers uh, will be going out of town for the summer, and then some people just, you know, that's a that's a physical job in hot temperatures. So we really are only asking people that can handle that and are healthy um, and could um, be okay doing that to go ahead and sign up. And so that would be people 16 and over that could handle a four-hour shift on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday morning. And some of that is loading, say, bottles of juice or produce boxes or um, dairy boxes or bread um, or other non-perishables into cars. So it's that kind of work. Um, And we do see and we have seen some very committed volunteers come out, even in the middle of the pandemic, and maybe especially so people who felt really called to do something for their community. So we do encourage that. If you are interested, you can go to communityfoodbank.org. There is a little tab on the top there that says get involved. You can click on that and get going on signing up to be a volunteer. And like I said, you can also email volunteer at communityfoodbank.org. Volunteers are going to be critical. They are critical all the time, Uh, but especially finding volunteers who can handle this kind of physical work during the summer uh, is a big, probably one of our biggest needs right now. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, before I let you go, is there any other news from the Community Food Bank that you would like to share with us? Well, we just are really grateful for the community stepping forward and supporting us. Uh, We hope, like everyone else, that we can work our way out of this. We also understand that with job losses, with um, all the economic uh, challenges that have come during this pandemic, it may not be as quick a recovery as we would like to see, but we certainly do appreciate all the support from people who have donated to the community food bank, whether with their funds or with their time as a volunteer. That's really the only way that we can continue to do the work we do, and it has really been a a comfort to us in this challenging year uh, to know that people are standing with us and that they agree that food is a basic human right and we need to do what we can to get it out into the community to the people who need it. Mm-hmm. Well, I uh, hope the best uh, moving forward into 2021. Uh, I've been speaking with Norma from the Community Food Bank of Southern Arizona. Thank you so much for the update on uh, the efforts of the food bank during this time. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Riley. Of I course. It. Yes. Well, take care and have a great one. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. For this next portion of Lifestyle Tucson, I am speaking with Kate from the Southern Arizona Arts and Cultural Alliance. Hi, this is Kate at Taka. To start things off, Southern Arizona, you know, is a strikingly beautiful location. And uh, so no surprise that uh, it's a hub for art and culture. Creatives are part of the community that were really hit hard in 2020. Could you just take a second to tell me a bit about who you are and the work of the Southern Arizona Arts and Cultural Alliance? Uh, Definitely. I think the best way to 
kind of explain it is the pre-pandemic version of our organization, maybe the post-pandemic, mm -hmm. what we hope to be moving into soon. But um, prior to COVID, our organization, a lot of people know us for the large-scale festivals and events that involve artists and uh, creative sector partners, everything from salsa, tequila, taco, to the World Margarita Championship, uh, Saber Food and Wine Festival. A lot of people know us for culinary arts, uh, festivals, the arts, uh, car shows, classic car shows, music, like, and live concerts all around town. Uh, we have a lot of venues that we partnered up uh, to bring live music to. Um, so really robust. A lot of people knew us. We work in the communities themselves, so we work with every community south of Casa Grande. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of relationships and partnerships uh, with businesses and governments um, that help us, you know, provide all of those events and programming. But about two and a half years ago, it it's actually quite a bit longer now, but uh, we had envisioned what was the next phase. Um, our programming had become so successful. We had um, been engaging with so many different diverse genres and mediums of artists. And we said, how can we continue to support them in a deeper way? So um, long story short, we uh, went to one of our partners, which is Brookfield Properties, that is, owns Chusa Mall and Park Place Mall, and said, you know, we kind of have this vision and dream of a space that could be really a first of its kind, a space to where we could house, you know, people who love uh, to work in a kitchen, you know, and have a teaching kitchen, uh, a place where uh, all of our engineers and the creatives that we worked with in that capacity, um, robotics, technology, um, have a space for them, as well as our craft studio, um, have a wonderful music and digital and film production studio, uh, as well as a venue for people to perform and gather. So uh, the Brookfield property has actually completely saw the vision of what it could be and especially what it could be at the mall, a place to where people could collaborate on projects, uh, learn, uh, get together. Uh, we named it Catalyst because the idea was it wasn't – the wealth was not going to be in what happened in Catalyst of what – more so what happened when people walked out of Catalyst. So if we were doing our jobs well, then – um, small businesses were being created every day um, in the entrepreneur side of the creative sector, and they were uh, collaborating on their own projects outside of Catalyst. So we opened that in December of 2019, that 14,000-square-foot uh, space. And for the first three months, I mean, there was from you know morning, noon, and night, there was projects, events, um, activations, really unique events taking place in there every single day. And then in March, we had to shut down uh, pretty quickly. So uh, we were only open really for a, a full three months and then had to mm -hmm. um, come and then just rethink, reprioritize, and kind of pivot. So what we've spent the last uh, year on in Catalyst is we have a co-working space and we have a very diverse group of co-workers. We have a music production technician, uh, several muralists. We have um, one that specializes in like drone work and um, videography, um, music production, and uh, like I said, the architect. So a lot of those coworkers really wanted to start collaborating with each other on projects. And so since the space is so big and it was shuttered, we um, provided one of the large spaces for a partner who's an architect who was actually fabricating a massive uh, piece of public art, needed a space to do that that would go uh, to the Paraguay uh, embassy. Mm -hmm. So the space was closed so he could take advantage of almost all the space to create this public art piece. Uh, we had another artist come and collaborate with a few others who uh, wanted to build um, a large, a 20 by 20 spice mural 
that was created on the ground. It was going to go to a museum in London. So she used our space to be able to create that work. Uh, we've been also using the space for endless amounts of uh, live streaming, recording, um, digital production for all sorts of different artists that are wanting to put their work in an online capacity. Mm-hmm. Very universal, so uh, yeah, collaborative uh, location. It's awesome. Um, Definitely. So we've allowed, since we haven't really been able to do events, we have been able to preserve a handful of smaller safe events. Catalyst has really been our biggest focus, as well as some of our arts and healthcare programming. Uh, we have a really robust arts and healthcare program um, that takes place in hospitals and around southern Arizona, as well as retirement and assisted living communities. That quickly, all of those came to a you know pretty quick um, end early mm-hmm. on because we could no longer enter into the facilities. So we pivoted and started providing them streaming opportunities to engage, but also. Um, put together a massive community-wide arts care project that provided um, care packages to thousands of individuals living in assisted living homes and hospitals, receiving treatment in hospitals throughout southern Arizona. So you would actually, like, have those care packages sent to those individuals. Is that what I'm understanding? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. Especially since that isolation definitely hits um, when you're living in an environment Uh, like that. You mentioned muralists several times, and that's something that is very Southern Arizona, our murals. And I was reading that there were 43 commissions uh, in 2020. Is that a, how's that compared to other years? No, I would say last year was a record. And I think it's because so many of our partnerships that were, you know, in production uh, to provide a lot of those maybe in-person events still wanted to invest the money in something that could support a local artist and help heal the community, and murals are great ways to really, um, you know, really promote goodwill and communicate. So a lot of our partners decided, you know, murals would be the way to to go. So we were able to produce so many different murals, um, really completely because of business support. Businesses are the ones who support and contracted each one of those. Saka creates these partnerships, and I saw that the, the organization also helps the performers and artists in a more direct manner. Could you share some about the organization's ability to help out those artists and performers? Definitely. Well, we've always believed that Tucson really has one of the most rich music scenes and that sometimes you don't, you can't really see it or feel it because unfortunately um, a lot of those people have full-time jobs Mm -hmm. because to have, be a full-time musician in Tucson is really challenging There is no permanent funding stream in Southern Arizona or in the state of Arizona for the arts. Uh, um, We're one of only four states, actually, with no permanent funding stream that could trickle down and fund individual artists. So we really have had to come up with some creative models of uh, partnerships with businesses that usually always comes down to and say, uh, would you be willing to invest in music as a form of outreach? A lot of people you know, purchase ads and spend money on marketing and outreach. But what if that marketing and outreach actually became the artist Mm -hmm. who has their own audience, who has their own base of support? So we've been able to recruit a a lot of venues, um, you know, whether they're hotels and resorts or restaurants or um, outdoor spaces and parks and shopping centers, really um, prove to them the value of investment in music as it is an investment in community. So uh, that's how we've been able to really build volume of opportunity for artists 
both professional and amateur, to be able to present their work in the community is um, putting them in spaces to where people actually are. What are some of the plans moving forward into 2021 and beyond for SACA? Well, I know um, helping play um, a significant role in healing our community is going to be something that is continues to be top mm-hmm. of SACA's mind. We know that um, you know, a lot of us I know are really feeling like we want to get back to events and we want to get back to lives as they were before. But for so many, um, that's it's not going to feel that way mm-hmm. uh, that have lost a family member or struggled, you know, and survived possibly COVID. So we know that there's going to be a lot of residual, you know, pain, but also um, need in our community to really connect and ha- ha- with really a lot of equitable dialogue as well. Mm-hmm. So much has happened this last year that just isn't related to COVID. Mm-hmm. So I know um, coming up with new programs that help us um, reach out to the community and provide this type of support through art, whether that be through series of uh, mural installations, um, performances, um, classes, education, um, art projects that will be very creative, but will also send a very strong message and for about awareness. So that's what you can really expect to see from us in the coming year. I know that we are really trying to protect um, the events that we can, mm-hmm. the ones that support artists the most. For example, you know, um, a culinary event, you know, chefs are so focused still on the long-term survivability of what they do. So, you know, bringing back in community culinary events isn't really the right time now um, as they've got a ways to go before they could completely rebound. But an artisan market to where we could um, exhibit the work from 50 artists and they could sell and each of them raise, you know, between two and $5,000 because it's their full-time job, those are going to be the types of events that we prioritize mm-hmm. um, moving into the future. Wonderful. Any, any event that directly benefits an artist. Mm-hmm. And helping the community come together, you know, and heal as we yeah. uh, get through this all together. Before I let you go, what are ways that individuals can get involved or show support or find out more about the Southern Arizona Arts and Cultural Alliance? Well, our website's a pretty big website. We've got a lot of different um, opportunities on there, whether that's our call to artist page if you're a creative and you're looking for um, any sort of opportunity to showcase, promote, sell your work, not just with Saka, but we also offer a call to artist service for anyone in Southern Arizona. So we have a pretty comprehensive place for that on the website. Um, and if you're someone who just wants to attend an event, uh, uh, we, you know, one of the things that's changed dramatically is we don't really announce seasons right now. You know, we can't really predict what's happening three months from now. So being on our email newsletter is a good way to kind of get notice of things that we may know are happening in the next 30 days, Um, especially as we move into the summer where our catalyst space we know is going to be getting more active with uh, classes and things happening um, as we move into the hotter months. And then if you're interested in volunteering, uh, we have a whole section on volunteerism that we're starting to kick back up finally. Um, now that we do have some programming, it's a great way to get involved in something that you're passionate about because we have so much diversity in programming. And if you're passionate about, you know, recording music, if you're passionate about social media or, um, you know, painting or just help supporting artists, there's so many different opportunities to volunteer your time to support. Mm-hmm. So what is that website, just so everyone knows? Uh, saka.org, www.saaca.org. 
them. Well, Kate, I really appreciate you taking this time to uh, give us a little update on Saka, where it's been and where it's going. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Awesome. Take care. If you are a member of a nonprofit organization that would like to be featured on an upcoming episode of Lifestyle Tucson, you can contact us by reaching out to publicaffairs at azlotus.com. That is publicaffairs, all one word, at azlotus.com. And for more information about the Lifestyle Tucson program, you can go to mixfm.com, klpx.com, kfma.com, or espntucson.com.